0: Anger Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk.
1: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to, again, St. Saviour's Darlingstown for evening worship on this very special Mission Sunday. So this morning, we heard from Scott Ballantyne from Adopt-A-Child Ireland, and we also heard from Hervin Fushikali uh, from Albania Adopt-A-Child, and we hope that you were greatly, greatly blessed. And this evening, we're really blessed to have Lindsay Brown from IFE's uh, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. Who's going to tell us what God is doing across the world? So we pray that you're really, really blessed by our worship today. Just a few little announcements. Uh, our next drive-in service, in fact, I would say probably our last drive-in service of the summer, is next Sunday at three pm. Park your cars up from two thirty, and let's uh, invite loads of people and finish the summer with some great worship together. Uh, a reminder as well that our Holiday Bible Club online is next week, Friday, Saturday and Sunday at 6.30 online each evening. And if you go onto your parish email, there's a link there, or onto our marlin.org website, there's a link there also where you can register and our team will actually deliver uh, an activity pack to your door so that you can fully engage with all of the content so we pray that that is a blessing to all our children and beyond into our community also Uh, i also mentioned this morning as well as the very worthy donations that you might choose to give uh, at worldwidemission.org forward slash donate that would would be administered by the worldwide banger missionary uh, convention Uh, i also want to mention to you that our diocese are encouraging and certainly I'm encouraging as well uh, that we would be generous at this time uh, to the people of Beirut and Lebanon. Um, I I know that you will know uh, the devastation that is on our screens with regard to that I I mentioned this morning uh, at least 200 people dead, uh, 375,000 people homeless, 5,000 people still hospitalized and there is an opportunity to give to that appeal uh, via open doors if you just go on to your own parish email there's a link there or if you go to marilyn.org you will see a link there to giving to the lebanon appeal so please do prayerfully consider doing that this is a a very very difficult time in that part of the world and we want to be generous and loving both with our uh, finances and with our prayers at this time. Let's just still our hearts and let's just prepare ourselves for worship. Lord God, we thank you that when you gave the Great Commission that Jesus said that we are all sent into the world to make disciples and father we want to repent for times where we've thought it's somebody else's job it's somebody else's mission it's not for me but father i pray that tonight we would be reminded that it's for the whole people of god to tell the whole story of god to the whole of god's world father would you do something in our hearts that causes us to well up and over with the gospel of jesus christ that we would want others to know people in albania people in northern ireland people in uh, uh, lebanon beirut and all the nations of the world lord we pray that we would be moved to move until all the world would know of your goodness and love lord as we enter into this time of worship We pray that not only with our lips would we make a song, but with our lives, a song of who you are and what you have done. For Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Let's sing.
0: on mission but I want to begin with a prayer that is very much prayer for the times in which we live and it's a prayer that I discovered in uh, Durham Cathedral uh, during a few days uh, holiday recently and it perfectly sums up our I guess our thoughts at this time so let us pray God of love sustain us in this time of uncertainty and distress grant us hope to encourage the fearful compassion to console the bereaved and gentleness to assure the isolated of our love and your love bless all who tend the sick and provide essential services and inspire others who search for vaccines and treatments Keep us strong in faith and renew your hope within us. Amen. And we remain in an attitude of prayer as we uh, go into our intercessions. And uh, the response to Lord in your mercy is, hear our prayer. Servant King, reveal to me the things I cannot see, the road ahead the work prepared, the person I could be. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us with simple words, Father, to explain the warmth within our hearts that we experienced in that first encounter with your love and grace, the Spirit's flame still burning bright within, that others in their own journeys of discovery might reach out and touch the hand that's always there and be embraced by your love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, so fill us with your love that it might cascade into the ordinariness of our working lives. And others experience the warmth of its flow spreading from hearts and words and deeds, an unbroken stream Bringing refreshment to all that it touches. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, you call us to leave all things, you who have nothing. You call us to be servants, you who came to serve. You call us to share the load, you who carried our sin. You call us to speak your word you who lived it daily you call us to be followers and in your strength we will lord in your mercy hear our prayer and lord we are reminded of the words of saint francis de Salle, written for all who are embarking on mission wherever they may be in whatever form that may may take so let us Prayerfully, consider these words this day. Do not look forward to the trials and crosses of this life with fear and dread. Rather, look at them full of confidence as they arise. God, to whom you belong, will deliver you from them. He has guided and guarded your life thus far. Hold fast to his dear hand, And he will lead you safely through all trials. Whenever you cannot stand, he will carry you lovingly in his arms. Do not look forward to what might happen tomorrow. The same eternal father who cares for you today will take care of you tomorrow and every day of your life. Either he will shield you from suffering or he will give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace. And put aside all useless thoughts, vain deeds, and anxious imaginations. And Father, may those words speak deeply to our hearts this day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father God, be the life I live, and be the love. That I give. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And we bring all our prayers together in the words that our Father taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen
2: my name is lindsay brown and i'm uh, connecting with you this evening from across the water uh, in wales uh, i work with university students uh, all across europe um, but for 40 years I've been working with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students and uh, it's been my privilege to me- visit and see student work firsthand in many countries around the world. So this evening your vicar asked if I would share something about the state of the church worldwide. I'm sure as we look at the news in the past week we see a world which is in turmoil. Um, examination system Breaking down bombs going off in Beirut, protests in Belarus, uh, turmoil because of the COVID-19 pandemic, problems all around the world, and we're about to ask ourselves, what in the world is is happening? What we almost never see on the screen, however, in our daily news, is an update on what God is doing around the world. For often, even in the midst of all this turmoil, God is at work. So this evening, I thought I would share with you five developments or challenges or trends which have an impact on Christian mission all around the world, which you're unlikely to hear on the daily news. There's much in the scripture about how to respond to times of turmoil. One of the most helpful books, actually, Is just a book which has three chapters by the prophet prophet Habakkuk or as Americans insist on calling him Habakkuk uh, in the Old Testament. He's called a minor prophet um, I think because he just wrote three chapters. We know nothing else about him from the rest of scriptures but you can find his book in the Old uh, Testament. He's writing about a time about five centuries before the coming of Christ when the Jews were Um, awaiting uh, an invasion uh, from the east and uh, they'd been through a period of time when they were recalcitrant disobedient God was warning them of judgment to come when you read the prophecy um, it's a pretty bleak statement about what's going to be happening to the Jews and what some of the neighboring tribes are up to but there are three glimmers of hope uh, in the letter the one is the first reference to Uh, The just shall live by faith um, at the beginning of chapter 2 in Habakkuk's letter, um, which is one of the great doctrines of the scriptures, of course. Uh, The second is where in chapter 2, after um, revealing through his prophecy some of the terrible things that are coming uh, uh, upon the Jewish people, he says in verse 14, after these statements about coming impending judgment he says for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the lord it seems almost quite out of place where habakkuk is speaking about the expansion if you like of the impact of um the the bible of the message and the word of god across the world um It's, if you like, a prophetic missionary verse about how the gospel would spread around the world. How can we read that today if we ask the question, where, what in the world is God doing? Well, the first thing we can notice is that the gospel is spreading remarkably all across the globe. The one region of the world where it's having the least impact, if you like, or slowing down, is the european context but in many other parts of the world including the middle east uh, asia latin america and africa the church is growing at a staggering rate uh, this evening i want to speak about the evangelical church particularly evangelical is a new testament word which just comes from the greek word evangelion which just means gospel good news people That's people who focus on the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope, unique hope of salvation uh, in him. In 1910, um, there was a big missionary convention held in Edinburgh um, challenging uh, church leaders to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And leaders came to that from various countries. 97% of them were Westerners. Only 3% were from the non-Western world. In 2010, 100 years later, in Cape Town, a similar conference was held. I was present at it. There were 5,000 evangelical leaders from 198 countries, which alone showed the spread of the gospel in those 100 years. 65% of the people present uh, came from the non-Western world and only 35% from the Western world. So it showed how the church had spread in those intervening 100 years. Now, if I were to ask you, which are the five countries in the world with the largest number of Bible-believing Christians? I wonder which countries you would list. I'm sure you'd say the USA, but then you may be surprised to hear the other four are China, which at a conservative estimate has between 70 and 100 million evangelical Christians. They're probably not more than a couple of million uh, in the UK. Uh, Nigeria uh, in Africa, um, where um, about 1,500 people a day profess newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Brazil in Latin America, where there are 400 converts uh, every day. And the fifth country would be India, where church growth is more patchy. Hinduism is dominant, but there are areas of the country where the church is growing spectacularly, especially amongst the most deprived people who are called the Dalits, uh, the the poorest of the poor. So whereas in 1910, there were about six or seven million evangelicals in the world, there are in excess of 300 million uh, at the moment. The church has grown spectacularly in those 100 years. There's been an acceleration in some countries, in particular, just in the last 30 or so years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. Historically, that will be seen as a great event in terms of the opening up of many countries to the advance of the gospel. At that time, I was the general secretary of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. We were working in 100 countries, but within 12 years, the work had spread to 150 countries. Because doors opened not only in formerly communist states in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union, but also in places like Eritrea, Ethiopia, Angola, Mozambique in Africa, Nepal, which was a Hindu kingdom in Asia. And in fact, I was at a conference a few years ago where I happened to meet some leaders from the church in Nepal. Of course, that's the country with the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. The first missionary went to Nepal in 1954, and um, the first church opened not too long afterwards. Church growth occurred slowly, but by 1990, it was said that there were maybe 30,000 believers uh, in Nepal. When I met these Nepali Christians, I said to them, since 1990, as the country has opened up, I heard there's been revival there. And uh, I keep telling people the church has grown by 10 times in the last 20 years or so. So I said, I'm saying that there are 300,000 Christians in the country. Is that accurate? They said, no, Lindsay, you can triple that. It's in excess of 900,000, maybe a million. This believer I was talking to came from Pentecostal Church, an elim Pentecostal Church, he was called. And I said to him, well, how do you explain the church is growing so rapidly? What are you doing to reach people? He said, well, we just open the windows and the doors in the church on Sunday, and we sing songs until people people start coming in off the street. (laughs) Now, that's what you would call a revival. That doesn't happen in most churches. But uh, that's how the church is growing there in some parts of Nepal. And I said to him, how do you explain the spectacular growth of the church from 1990 onwards? And he said, well, following the fall of the Berlin Wall, there were protests in many countries around the world demanding greater democracy. And there were on the streets of Kathmandu, our capital. And so the King eventually brought in uh, greater freedom of religion, Um, but only after a period of persecution when many of our pastors were imprisoned uh, for what they were preaching. When the pastors were imprisoned, We were just left without these church leaders, so the ordinary believers started gossiping the gospel, and that's how the church spread. Well, if we want the church to spread, maybe we should pray that our vicars, curates, uh, and pastors be imprisoned for a period of time, so the rest of us can get on with sharing the gospel, but that's what happened in Nepal. One of the fastest growing churches in the last 30 years, uh, to the surprise of many, has been Mongolia. Mongolia, as you probably know, was the home of the famous uh, warrior leader Genghis Khan. It's a Buddhist uh, country, squeezed, a large country, but squeezed in between China and Russia. Now, in the 1980s, there were only about six known Mongolian Christians in the world. I met three of them. They were all converted through listening to radio ministry But after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the communist system in 1989, the first missionaries were able to go in and um, Mongolians turned to the Lord in great numbers. So today there are several hundred churches, many thousands of believers, and this is astonishing to many, uh, but Mongolia is the country which per head of population, less than 3 million people living there, per head of population in the last 10 years, has sent out more missionaries than any other country in the world. It's a remarkable uh, situation. The fastest growing church in Europe, which surprises many people, fastest growing evangelical church is in France, where I used to work as a missionary myself in the 1980s. In uh, 1910, there were only 4,000 uh, Protestant Christians in the country. When I lived there in 1910, 19- in the 1980s uh, there the church had grown to about 200,000 today there are about 500,000 evangelical Christians in the country and a famous missiologist Philip Jenkins has written a book about the growth of the church in France interestingly when he was asked in his staff room in his uh, t- in the college where he was teaching what are you writing about these days Philip he said I'm writing about the growth of the church in France and people laughed They said, well, that's the most secular country in Europe. He said, it's amazing how it's growing. They said, well, how do you account for that? He said, well, there's a church planting movement there, which started in the late 1960s by missionaries. The charismatic movement has had, had some impact, he said. But thirdly is the impact of what he called the diaspora. That is people coming to live in France for a variety of reasons from former colonies in the 20 french-speaking countries in africa cambodia vietnam uh, the french-speaking caribbean islands in addition to uh, other missionaries there are a good number of believers amongst them and as uh, they've turned up in france they brought the gospel with them and the church has grown through their testimony so it's quite a uh, fast-growing and vibrant church today though many of the many of the believers there come from poorer backgrounds and live on low incomes. So very significant growth in these countries. Another would be um, Albania. I remember in 1990, there, were, there was not a single known believer in Albania, uh, just to the north of Greece. There was a communist dictator called Enver Hodja living there. Interesting to see how things started to develop there. He died in about, I think 1992, And a Presbyterian church in the USA had sent a team to, um, they were supposed to go to um, Yugoslavia, the state of Yugoslavia at the time. They flew to Greece where they were going to change planes to go on to Yugoslavia. Then they saw the screen in the airport that there was fighting breaking out on the streets, civil war in Yugoslavia, which led to the breakup of the country. And um, so they phoned back to their pastor and said, this fighting on the streets of Yugoslavia, it seems unsafe to go there. What do you think we should do? He said, go to Albania instead. The president has died. There's chaos on the streets. Go to the university in the capital, offer to teach English as a foreign language, and then use the Bible and Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress to teach people the English language. Then they said, where's Albania? They didn't know. He said, look at your map, it's just below just above Greece, just below Yugoslavia. So they went there, turned up in the capital city. It was chaotic. They went to the university campus, started some discussion groups using English. And one person became a Christian there. His name was Zef Nikola. He was a linguist, a linguistic uh, student, studying linguistics a very brilliant student. He today is the leader of the student ministry in the country and the vice president of the Evangelical Alliance. But because he's such a brilliant linguist, picks up languages readily, about 12 years later, in the early part of this century, he realized that the only translation of the Bible available in the Albanian script was very poor and cumbersome. So he took a year out from his work, learned New Testament Greek in a year, and then translated the whole of the New Testament into the Albanian language. He'd only been a Christian about 10 to 12 years. So that's contributed to the spectacular growth of the church in Albania. I was there last year. There are now about 18,000 believers in the country. So God is at work uh, in the growth of the church around the world. The other interesting thing is the change in, in the complexion of missionaries uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. In 1910, as I mentioned, by far and away, the largest number of missionaries were from Western countries, well over 90%. These days, it's only 35% and shrinking. 65% are coming from other countries where the church has grown over the years. Let me give an example. Uh, In 1900 16% of the missionary force around the world um, were non-westerners. In 2025 it's estimated that 69% will be from the non-western world. In 1987 there were 1600 missionaries from Latin America in the world. Today there are 14,000 Latin American missionaries, many in Spain and Portugal, North Africa and elsewhere taking the gospel with them. So there's been a huge transformation in the advance of the gospel, and this is a direct fulfillment of that prophecy that Habakkuk uh, mentioned there, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Um, That's the first thing that's happened in terms of the worldwide church the second thing which is worth mentioning however is more negative and that is the decline of what used to be called christendom or the church in the western world as we've been impacted by the unholy trinity of pluralism the new atheism and um, materialism secularism these have had a deep and a penetrating impact on our culture Uh, Interestingly, though, the one area where the church still seems to be having its biggest impact is in the student world. If you look at universities in the UK, including Northern Ireland, often the biggest groups in the universities are the evangelical student groups. The one in Queen's University in Belfast is probably one of the three or four largest, for example, in the whole of Europe. What is interesting is that the gospel is penetrating universities uh, in Europe and part of the reason for this is that many student groups are going on the offensive in trying to take on alternative worldviews respond to the kind of questions or objections that people bring and emphasize the proclamation of the gospel in the university context. You know historically um, Part of the reason that missionary enterprise shrunk in many countries was that the church turned inward. Um, When Jesus told us to go into the world and preach the gospel, we replaced that by saying to people, just come to church. But actually, Jesus' commission is, come to me, then go into all the world. John Stott, the famous Anglican preacher, probably one of the giants in the church of the last 50 years in the Western world, said this. Our calling is to be morally distinct without being socially segregated. And we've confused the two. We've uh, come to believe that the only way we can retain our moral distinctiveness is to cut ourselves off from unbelievers uh, in the culture. Jesus was called, he said, The friend of sinners. And the question many believers have to ask themselves is Do I have any sinners who are friends at all? God's calling to us is to reach out to people in the challenging circumstances of the Western world. I think part of the key is to engage with people in the media, television, radio, in the universities to capture the high ground, communicate the gospel answer people's questions as well as build alternative attractive communities this it seems to me is what happened in the era called the reformation from in the 16th century from which all protestant churches have come into existence martin luther and john calvin were not just interested in doctrinal clarity but it's fascinating to read how they reached out to people in public debates and dialogues, how they created publishing houses, um, how they sent missionaries out and so on. And I think one of the models that we have for responding to an increasingly secularized world is to follow their example of going into every sphere of the culture and bearing witness to Christ, wherever he's placed us. The third um trend or development we should be aware of is the reality that there are still many unreached so-called unreached people in the world perhaps as many as 1.5 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ as one missionary said we sometimes argue about the circumstances surrounding the return or the second coming of Christ but he said there's over a billion people in the world who have never heard about his first coming. He went on to say, we spend too much time in and too much of our our money, the money which God gives us, in maintenance and too little time in pioneering and evangelizing. And we need to reverse that. There have been some wonderful developments in the last 30 years through certain agencies, certainly in the student world, certainly in the attempts of mission agencies to uh, establish churches key churches in urban settings the bible societies have done a wonderful job of teaming together to translate the scriptures in many languages of the world more than 90 percent of the languages the main languages of the world now have the scriptures in their own tongue but there are over 600 people groups in the world that is a group of people who speak a distinctive language where a hundred thousand people do so who are yet to receive even a bible text in their own language so there's a great need to reach the unreached peoples of the world at a conference 30 years ago a missionary in guatemala said that we've often made a mistake when we were reading the scriptures When we read Jesus' commission to go to all peoples, we've thought we should send people to every nation state in the world. But he said when the word nations is mentioned in the New Testament, the Greek word is ethne, which he said is a people group defined by their language. There are just over 200 nation states in the world, according to the United Nations. But there are many thousands of ethnies or people groups who are distinct speak a distinctive language uh, who uh, still need to hear the gospel in their own tongue. And so we still have much to do in terms of reaching those uh, people groups, especially amongst Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus. The fourth trend or development is growing hostility and persecution. The last Archbishop of Canterbury um, Rowan Williams said his biggest concern um, was not so much the challenge of engaging with secularized cultures but how to deal with the rising um, incidents of persecution of believers all around the world. Just last week I received an email from a friend in Nigeria uh, who talked about how Islamic groups are uh, have been seeking out and even killing pastors and church leaders uh, in the north of the country. I also had an email from a friend who is from Eritrea who was telling me how under the still Marxist country there in the war that they had with Ethiopia the government sent pastors to the war to the the front the war front um, who weren't even trained to use a rifle or anything And uh, they were in the first line of fire, and many of these pastors were killed uh, as they were shot uh, by opposing forces across the border. And so there are many countries, Iraq would be another country, um, uh, and some neighboring countries where believers are persecuted uh, for their faith. I noticed that the Archbishop of Canterbury in recent days has set up a commission under the Bishop of Truro, I think, in the southwest of England, to look at the problem of the persecution of believers uh, all around the world. So we should pray for believers in this situation who are suffering, um, not because they've done wrong, but simply because they are followers of Jesus Christ um, in these trying circumstances. The fifth and final area I'd like you to be aware of is that mission has come to us. So the church is growing in many parts of the world. uh, While it seems to be retracting uh, in Europe, there are still many unreached people groups to to reach with the gospel. Um, Many believers are experiencing persecution and hostility in some tough countries around the world. But God also has engaged in reverse mission as people... In the turmoil of economic changes uh, and warfare, as we see on our own doorstep now, people are leaving their countries to go to other countries, desperate for safety and a new start. Uh, It's not just um, economic migrants, however, but international students who are coming to our shores to study in our universities, which gives us an opportunity to share the gospel with these people when they're away from home. Um, Let me ask you a question. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, um, if you read the Bible regularly, tell me or reflect for a moment on the names of individuals you can think of found in that book, which traces the growth of the church in the first 30 to 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. How many people listed there were converted in their hometown or amongst their family in the book of Acts? The answer is almost none. We know that Timothy was converted through the testimony of his wife, his his mother uh, and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, after uh, they raised him after his father had died. But we have to look very hard to find others who were converted at home Starting from the day of Pentecost, when people went from 17 language groups listed in Acts chapter 2 to hear Peter's sermon at Pentecost about the claims of Jesus Christ, his deity, his death, and his resurrection. People were converted as a result of that sermon and then took the gospel to neighboring countries, including Egypt, Iraq, uh, some countries in southern Europe. Do you know, one historian, uh, when I was in Albania last year, I heard of one historian who's been doing some research on the birth of the church in Albania, which in the New Testament was called Illyria. And he has found documents which indicate that there was a group of 70 believing families meeting in the port of Durres in Albania, just 30 years after, 20 years after the day of Pentecost in AD 52. And it's clear that they had brought the gospel from the day of Pentecost where they heard it back to Daris, and the church had grown there as a consequence of that day. Um, God is using, God is not only reaching people from other countries when they come to study or live amongst us, but he's using those, some of those people also to spread the gospel um, in our own countries. Let me give a couple of illustrations. First of all the impact on international students as they hear the gospel in Britain. Um, I don't know if you know any students or immigrants from other parts of the world but one of the things you might pray for in the coming weeks is that God would give you one friend from another country that you could encourage and help. We used to live in a terraced house in Cardiff next to an I- Iraqi on one hand and Bangladeshi folks uh, on the other and um, it was fascinating to uh, engage with them um, but on one occasion I met a friend called Derek Matungu. he came to study in the university in Bath uh, in England to do uh, first of all he did A-levels in the local technical college when he turned up he knew no one a couple of Christians from the Technical College uh, had a little book stall and a welcome stall at the railway station to greet international students. Uh, he was very excited to meet with them and they offered to provide lunch for him on Sunday. So they introduced him to a Christian couple um, who provided lunch uh, for him on Sunday and for the following eight weeks. And He went along to church with them and became a Christian. He stayed on to do a doctorate in imperial college in london and uh, got involved in the christian union there and he thought this was wonderful the christian union so he thought he'd start something like it back in zambia his home country so when he returned home he started bible studies for students in the university of lusaka the group grew very quickly to encompass 10 percent of all the students in the university then um The news got to the presidential palace, famous president at the time called Kenneth Kaunda. Uh, Kaunda heard about the growth of the student group. So he sent for Derek Motungu to come to the presidential palace. So when Derek turned up at the presidential palace, Kaunda, who had been taught in, um, I think, a Catholic school when he was a small boy, said to him, what is this message you're preaching, which is turning the university upside down? in Lusaka, and typical of an African student, Derek preached the gospel to Coanda, who started to weep. And he said, this is the message our culture desperately needs to hear. Come back in two weeks time and bring your student committee with you. So Derek turned up two weeks later with the eight members of the executive committee of the Christian Union in Lusaka University. When he went into the presidential palace, The president was standing there with the whole cabinet lined up. Can you imagine this? Uh, With Boris uh, Johnson, our prime minister, and all his cabinet. Well, they need to hear the message. If they were lined up up, and the student went to preach with them. So Derek preached the gospel to these members of parliament. And I know that story because one of the men who was there has become a Christian. And uh, he told his son who told me of the story. And I've met Derek myself and seen the impact all because he heard the gospel through a kindly family when he was studying in the UK but also God is using the diaspora or people from other parts of the world um, when some there are some believers amongst them who bring the gospel uh, with them when they come to study in our countries and elsewhere and I heard a wonderful story about this from uh, a missionary friend called Vivian Stacey who's gone on to heaven to be with the Lord now. She was a single woman who traveled extensively through the Middle East and had many Muslim friends. On one occasion, she was traveling in one of the Gulf states, and she was invited into the home of a friend she'd known uh, when this woman was previously a student. And uh, Vivian was invited to sit in the living room. This woman had married a very wealthy Muslim uh, man. And uh, they sat down and had some tea and some uh, fruit and so on. And after a while, this lady said to Vivian, Vivian, I haven't seen you for a while. I'd like to bring you. ask if you come downstairs to see this room which we built uh, underneath the house. Uh, Vivian wasn't really interested, but she thought out of courtesy she should go. So she went downstairs. And as they got to the room, the woman switched the light on. And uh, when they looked in the room, there were over 70 people sitting there. So Vivian said to her, what are all these people doing in this room? She said, I told them that someone would come to explain about Isa in the Injil, Jesus in the gospel. Um, and Vivian said, but it's illegal. You can be executed for doing that. Who is going to do that? She said, you are. And uh, Vivian said, well, who are all these people? I'd like to know who they are before I speak to them because it could be costly. And she said, you know, I had a Filipina maid who came and worked for me several years ago. And I noticed that as she was cleaning around the house, she was singing all the time and she was so joyful. So one day I said to her, why are you singing all the time? Why are you so joyful? And she said, because I've come to trust in Jesus Christ and he's put a song in my heart and I have to sing about it every day. He gives me so much joy. And then she said, When she told me this, I said to her, well, tell me how I may find that joy too, for I'd like to have it for myself. So she shared the gospel with me. She said, I became a secret believer, but I said nothing to my husband who had been a strict Muslim. And I thought, how am I gonna tell him? I have to wait until he's perhaps weakened and he won't respond with a volcanic eruption. So I waited one night for several weeks until we were in bed before the light went out. And I turned to him and I said, Darling, I have a secret to tell you. I've become a follower of Isa. And he turned around with a tear in his eye and he said, I have the same secret too. I've come to follow him. We rejoiced, she said, and we shared with our children who became believers and followers of Jesus. Isa. Then we told our extended family, then our neighbors whom we know and trust. She said, they're not all believers here, but they're what you would call seekers. There are about 70 of them. They are the people in this room. They are the seekers who are here because of the testimony of that Filipina maid who wasn't very well schooled. She didn't go to university, but she shared, shared the joy of her heart since she found Christ. So you see when we look at immigrants there may be believers amongst them who could enrich our churches we need to welcome and get, welcome them and give them space in the old testament law of leviticus god speaking through moses said love the alien as you love yourself we should be countercultural i'm not going into the politics of an immigration policy now and it is difficult when there's not, doesn't seem enough money to provide adequate education and food and clothing and work for everybody who's been born in our countries. But we have to ask what is God doing behind the scenes here that we cannot see? When we look at the news, we're seeing all these comments about immigration and the problems it's causing. But as God is bringing, perhaps God is bringing many of these people to our shores So that they can either hear the gospel or so that some of them can actually enrich our Christian testimony in the life of the church through their joyful service. Well, that's the fifth dimension in the changing world of mission that's occurred. I would say, especially in the last 30 years, that mission is coming to us. God's strategy historically has been twofold. One to send us to the ends of the earth to take the gospel, but two, he is bringing people from the ends of the earth to hear the gospel through us. So maybe one of the things that we can promise commit or commit to do as a result of this evening is to determine to seek out and make one friend from another culture with, with whom we can either share the gospel or from whom we can learn the joy they have in having already trusted Christ. So in this turbulent, tumultuous, changing economic and political scene around the world, the question the mature Christian should be asking is not so much why, what on earth is God doing here, but rather since God is allowing these things, things to happen, how then should I live? What is God's purpose Behind these changing situations, we can rejoice in the growth of the church worldwide. The gospel is covering the world as the waters cover the sea. But pray that God will give us fresh impetus and revival in secularized Europe. Pray for unreached peoples, maybe adopt an unreached people group in our church rather than just giving to traditional missionary work. Look for a a nation or a people group where there are few believers. Then pray for the persecuted church regularly and uh, then finally rejoice with God at the opportunities he gives us as he brings mission to us in the midst of the turmoil Habakkuk closes by writing these words and maybe these are words we should take to heart and pray in in the context of our current situation though the fig tree Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, though we may be surrounded by calamity and disasters and difficulties, the message Habakkuk brings to us is, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation for the The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and make me walk in high places. When we adopt that attitude, our testimony will be more potent, joyful, and efficacious in the place in which he has placed us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the spread of the gospel around the world. We rejoice that you are sovereign and you're in control. Help us to trust in your sovereignty and goodness. Help us in the midst of the uncertainty and the turmoil, to ask how then should we live given that you've allowed us to live in this generation and town uh, and situation. And help us, Lord, to see with something of your eyes and your perspective. Help us to reach out to uh, the immigrant population, to international students. Help us to pray for and identify with persecuted brothers and sisters. Bring about revival in the Western world. And Lord, continue uh, the growth and advance of the gospel all across the world in our generation and beyond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: folks, it's been great having your company. Uh, Thank you for worshiping with us and do remember uh, that opportunity to give uh, to uh, the people of Beirut at this time through Open Doors. Just visit our website for further details. As we come to the end of our service, let's just pray. Lord God, thank you for how you have inspired us thank you for how you have challenged us thank you for how you have encouraged us and we pray lord that we would not be people of doom and gloom but people of hope people who know that we have a god who's active and moving saving and blessing this world lord come by your holy spirit and renew our mission for you For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. May the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.
3: Hi everybody. So at this time of year we would usually be getting ready for Holiday Bible Club, but unfortunately with coronavirus we're not able to do that in the way that we usually would but we're really excited to let you know that we are gonna be launching a toy-filled, action-packed Holiday Bible Club weekend on the last weekend of August. And so from Friday the 28th to Sunday the 30th, we're gonna be going live each evening and delivering you a Toy Story-themed Holiday Bible Club program. There'll be lots of Bible stories, there'll be cool crafts, there'll be memory verses and loads of things for you to enjoy and you might even see some characters that you recognise, some who wear hats like this. So stay tuned onto our Facebook page because we'll be releasing more information about it this week and we really hope that you can join us and look forward to seeing you all then.